welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Uh, just about that whole chapter, not quite the whole chapter, is just what I held before you a second ago. So Acts chapter 4, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. What a day, right? What a day that we just heard about. Really two days in Acts chapter 4. And I, I think if we could have a day like that, if we could experience a day like that, we would t- be talking about that day for the rest of our lives. And in fact, thousands of years later, we're still talking about that day. We're still talking about that day when the Lord shook that place. And, and I would imagine that the people of God spent the rest of their lives reminding themselves, remember that time when we were gathered? Remember that time when Peter and John were arrested? And remember that time when, when they were released? And remember that time we were filled with the Spirit to continue to proclaim the name of the Lord? And the very place that we were praying was, was shaken and we are now changed forever and more unshakable than ever before for having experienced that day and lived through that day. This was a day that they probably never forgot and a day that we will never forget as the Lord under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit had Luke record this for us. And honestly, we're still living in this last day. We're still living in this day that was inaugurated at Pentecost, which was a sign that the risen Christ has ascended to his place at the right hand of God the Father, and he has sent the promised spirit to us, and he has formed his church, and now the church is formed and moving and taking ground for the kingdom of God in great power. And what is that power? That is the power that was promised by Christ himself. He said, wait in Jerusalem until I send you the power that you were waiting on. And that power was the power of the Holy Spirit among his people. A.W. Tozer wrote this. He says, the early church was not merely an organization or a movement, but a walking incarnation of spiritual energy. They were spirit-filled people. The church began in power, advanced in power, and moved as long as she had power. When she no longer had power, she dug in for safety and sought to conserve her gains. But her blessings were like manna from heaven, which the church tried to keep overnight. It bred worms and stank. In church history, every return to the New Testament powers has marked a new advance somewhere. And every diminution of power has seen the rise of some new mechanism for conservation and defense. Here, here's what A.W. Tozer says is, if we stop living and trusting and if we stop living under the power of the influence of the Holy Spirit, then we will find ourselves withdrawing. We will find ourselves not advancing. We will find ourselves weak. And when the church finds itself weak, not living under the power of the Holy Spirit, we will try to conserve ourselves and conserve the blessings for ourselves. And like the manna that bred worms and stank, we will be like whitewashed tombs and absolutely dead on the inside. So I want to ask the question, if the Holy Spirit was removed from this place and in this church, would you even notice? How dependent are you and we on the Holy Spirit among us? Or are we dug in, trying to remain safe and comfortable, all the while the manna, the Lord's provision, namely the power that he has given us, the provision, the giving of the Holy Spirit, are we holding that to ourselves and finding ourselves rotting 
on the inside. And here's why this is so difficult. Because the truth is that he gives us his power. He gives us the strength that we will see in Acts chapter 4. But another truth that we see in the scriptures is that we'll also face opposition. And when we face opposition, as Tozer talks about, as we'll see in Acts chapter 4, when we face opposition, our inclination is to dig our heels in and try to be safe and comfortable. That's our, inclina- that's our inclination, is to remain safe and comfortable. And, and we start asking ourselves this question, or, or we start this kind of figuring this out in our lives, is what's the price? Like how much opposition do you have to face when you say that's enough? Now I'll no longer live in the power or proclaim the name of Christ. What's your price? What's your price? Jesus promised that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we would experience this unspeakable joy and this unspeakable power. But he also said, in this world you will have tribulation. In Acts chapter 4, we see this beautiful story that I just held before you. That's the people of God living in opposition, living in tribulation, as we will experience in these last days between the first coming and the second coming, as God sent his spirit in Pentecost until God comes back, we are living in the last days. In these last days, you will experience tribulation, which they are. They're experiencing that opposition. But in this opposition, they are seeing God's power like never before. I, I wonder if we wonder, you know, the, the way the world's going, uh, will we really see an outpouring of God's power like we've seen in, in the early days of Acts? And I don't think those are mutually exclusive. It's not as though we have to have tribulation to cease. It seems when tribulation is the most, we should be under the influence of the Spirit the most. Let's go ahead and take a look. First, in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, we see this opposition arises. We see the initial opposition. We began to see that last week a little bit in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, that as Peter and John uh, uh, caused this uh, by the power of the Spirit, uh, this lame man was now walking. We see the Sadducees come together and the the chief priests and the captain of the temple, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and they're greatly annoyed because they were preaching Jesus. They're greatly annoyed that Peter and John are preaching, namely, the resurrected Christ. And you see in this opposition, which you still see in the world today, you see see forces, even the religious forces that are normally opposed to one another, these Sadducees, Pharisees, and captains of the temple, and all these folks who are typically at odds, one thing they can get together for is that they are against preaching the resurrected Christ. Because the truth remains as the truth is even today that if Christ is raised from the dead, that changes everything. If Christ is raised from the dead, then he is more than a teacher. He is more than a moral example. He's more than just another rabbi. He is God himself in the flesh and he demands our life and everything. His name is above every name and they are preaching a resurrected Christ. And they want to silence these men. So they see this initial opposition. They were annoyed for the preaching and, and the, for, because of the preaching and the people were following and they were following Jesus so they put them in jail overnight. We're going to see why more in a minute they would be such, so opposed to, to something like this. As these forces unite against these Christians, against these apostles. 
So they have this initial opposition, and then they have the official opposition. They put them in jail overnight until they can get everybody together to put this court together so that they could officially try them before this religious court. In the meantime, uh, over 5,000 people are now in the church. People are hearing the gospel. They're believing the word. They can arrest them, but they cannot arrest the power of God. Do you see that? They can arrest the apostles. They can put them in jail, but they cannot stop the power of God. The power of God, the kingdom of God continues to take ground in Jerusalem no matter what they do to these apostles. Isn't that good news? And so the next day, it says in verse 5, here's the official opposition. Their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. All the religious elite gathered together, you know. When the religious elite show up, you're bound to see something. And all who were of the high priestly family, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. Here's their question. Here's the official opposition. By what power or by what name do you do this? So you're starting to see why they're greatly annoyed. Yes, people are following. Yes, they're preaching a resurrected Christ. But you start to see why they are truly annoyed at what's going on. It's not so much the miracle, that's part of it. Here's their main question. What's their charge? You hear that? What's their charge? Who has power here? Who's in charge? And that's the question. By, by, by what name are you doing this? Here's what they're asking. Don't you know who we are? Don't you know I'm Annas, and that's Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander? We're the high priestly family. If anybody has power, if anybody has a name and a religious name, if anybody has favor with God, it's us. You ever met a religious folk like that? I've seen that in my own heart before. You've seen that in your own heart. We've met religious folks like that before. Who's in charge here? Who has authority? Don't you know that we have authority? Here, here's the thing. This, this miracle that they see with this, this man, this lame man, who the Bible tells us was 40 plus years old, was, was raised to walk, it should be in a, a moose-bouche. You know what that is? Some of you food people might know that the two food people in the place know what a, a moose-bouche is. It means to amuse the mouth. It's a French word. And so if you go to a fine dining restaurant, here's what a moose-bouche should do. It should be that one perfect bite. It's, it's an appetizer that leaves your mouth watering. It has the perfect va- balance of salt, fat, acid, and all those beautiful things. You take that one bite and it makes you, I, I want to taste what this chef has. That's what that miracle should have done. It should have been the appetizer. It should have lightened up their mouth and made them water for that last day when there is no more tears, there is no more lame, that the kingdom of God had come to earth and they saw a glimpse, they saw a taste and a moose-bouche of that day and excited about what God would do. But their question is not that. It doesn't put a taste in their mouth. It puts a stink in their nostrils that they don't want what this God has to do. They don't want to taste and see what this resurrected Christ can do because if Christ is resurrected, then he is the one to whom every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of God the Father. They don't want that. They want to remain 
in control. Who's in charge here? And the religious don't like it. They want to keep all the power to themselves. By what power and by what name did you do this? Look at the apostles' response. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to, you, to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this him, by, excuse me, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which men must, by which we must be saved. So notice the apostles' response. Notice that, so they're arrested, they're thrown in jail by what name? They know the cost of what's about to happen. So if you're you're reading the story, we're asking the question, is there a price on their head that if it was offered, they would walk away and say, yes, we will be silent. Yes, we won't speak that power. We won't speak that name anymore. We'll see again, you can arrest the Christian, but you can't arrest the gospel. And you see in verse 8, they give this Holy Spirit-filled testimony. This is the name. This is the power that they had received from on high. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, look, if you're a believer, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. But what's happening here is what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5, where he says, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Put yourself under the influence. Submit to the power, the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so what we see here is a person completely under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? They stand before them and they say, look. They don't point to themselves. They're not after power. They're not after their own name. Peter and John are not trying to make a name for themselves. That's the difference between a religious person and a Christian. One is trying to make a name for themselves. One is trying to point to the great name of Jesus Christ. And do you see what this spirit-filled person, look, look at the man standing before you. This is a certain sign of the power that we've been given. This is a sign of the resurrection to come. This is the sign of resurrection power among us. Look at it. Look at what he has done. He has been raised by the name of Jesus Christ. We will not be silent. Look at the man standing before you. And look at the man, Jesus Christ, on the cross. This one whom you crucified, this Jesus of Nazareth, But God raised him from the dead. Yes, you are guilty. It's by him that this man is standing before you well. This is the Jesus. This is the one that you have rejected. You saw Jesus raised from the dead by God. You saw this man raised from being lame by the power of God. You have seen this, but yet you still reject the power of God. So, I mean, this just shows us something. Just a side note here. And Jesus said this in... The story of the rich man and Lazarus, the the rich man says, go back to my family and show them a sign that they might believe. And Jesus says, you know, if you don't believe the, the, the word of God, then no sign will convince you. A resurrected Christ and a walking lame man did not convince this guy. 
or these, these folks, these religious folks. What they need is to put their faith and trust in the name of Jesus, and this is the work of the spirits. And they say, they look, look to the layman, look into the evidence, look to Christ, look to the resurrected Christ. This is the one you have rejected. He is the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. There's a call to them. You too can be saved, religious folks. You too can trust in the name of Jesus. But yet, they don't want to let go of their power. So the religious respond back. So under the power of the Spirit, that's what a Spirit-filled person does. They, they point, look, look what Christ is doing. Look what Christ has done. Look to the cross. Look to the name of Christ and be saved. So a Spirit-filled person does. Listen to the religious response. So we've seen the initial opposition, the response. They're not going to be quiet. So now the religious respond again. They see the boldness of Peter and John. They perceive that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. So they're astonished. And they recognize that they had been with Jesus. So, so what do they see? The apostles that look to the resident, see Christ, see what he's done, look upon his name and be saved, but they just can't see it, can they? They're astonished. But listen to how they are astonished. They are astonished, one, because these folks are bold. They are uneducated. They are common men. And so in their pride, these religious folks are thinking, surely they will not stand up against us. They haven't been to school like us. They haven't sat under rabbis like us. They don't have the power and the religious clout that we have. They're astonished at their boldness, almost saying, how dare they stand up to someone like us. And these apostles were bold, and that astonishes them. And let me say this about boldness. I'm not sure boldness means volume. I'm not sure boldness means being annoying. I'm not sure boldness means pestering. I, I, I'm not sure boldness is equated with, with that, with loudness, because I don't know if I can be bold, but they're bold because they know what they're facing. If they don't deny the name of Christ, they could be killed. They could be arrested. Something bad could happen to them, but boldness is having courage even when you face opposition. To do the right thing even when it's going to cost you. It's not so much personality, it's not so much loudness or whatever it might be, but it's willing to put your neck on the line, and they see this. They're astonished by this. They're willing to put their neck on the line for this resurrected Christ. Charles Spurgeon said in one of his sermons, suppose a number of persons were to take it in their heads that they had to defend the lion, the full-grown king of beasts. There he is in the cage, and here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I should suggest to them that if they would not object and feel that it was humbling to them, that they should kindly stand back and open the door and let the lion out. I believe that we would be the, would the, be the best way of defending him, for he would take care of himself. And he goes on to say, the best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. They were bold, and they said, even if it costs, we're going to let the gospel out and do the mighty work that only it can do. 
They were astonished because they were bold. They were astonished because these men were unlearned. They were common. They were astonished because they knew that these men had been with Jesus and they had been with Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was a podunk town. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth, one of the folks said early on. But here they are, bold, standing before the religious elites, and they're astonished at their boldness, that they're common and yet bold, that they had been with Jesus and they're still standing their ground. They're astonished because they have an accompanying sign. This 40-year-old plus man is standing there and they recognize all of this. The Bible notes, Luke notes that he was more than 40 years old because this wasn't like some sort of weekend at Bernie's type thing, right? Where they're holding this guy up and walking him around. Like he really started walking again. And they saw it and they had seen him for years. They're astonished because they have public favor. Did you see it there that people are praising God for what is happening and people are seeing and believing and they don't know what to do. But they see everything that's happening. They can't deny what is happening. And so they try to silence them. Do you listen to what they say? May it be in good order. We can't deny what's happening. Do you see that in the verse 16? We can't deny it. But in order that it might spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more. So we're going to warn them. Don't speak anymore in this name. And so they charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So they, the religious elites, were astonished at the boldness of these uneducated men, the power that God was bestowing to them, and despite the evidence They loved their name, and they loved their power, and they loved their position more than the name of Jesus. They had a price. Don't take away my name. Don't take away my power. Don't question my education. I will not let go of my elite status. The religious elite could not control the power of the Holy Spirit. They could not silence the Spirit-filled believers. And in fact, the church was expanding so rapidly that they could not stop this movement at all because they were going in the power of God. Maybe you've seen something like this. I've seen this on Twitter this week, maybe a sign of this. Have you seen that there's that seeming a revival breaking out at Asbury um, College, university. Have you seen that? And you can set your watch by these things. You know the religious elites that are on Twitter are going to start doubting everything that doesn't happen according to how they think it should happen. And sure enough, that's, that's been happening. Um, we don't know exactly what's going on there yet. It, it could be a movement of the Holy Spirit. Time will tell. God says, test the spirits and, and see that it is a, tr- a true, true movement of God. It, it very well may be. But it's always funny to watch the religious elite saying, if it doesn't under our umbrella, if it doesn't in our denomination, if it isn't in this, then we're not going to believe it. It happens in churches as well. 
We may think things like this, you know, don't you know how long I've been here? How would God use someone like that who just joined this church a few weeks ago or a few months ago? How would they use somebody like that here? Don't you know how long I've been? Don't you know my name? (laughs) And certainly God gives us church leaders. We will see that throughout the rest of Acts. But it's sometimes the leaders who want to be the ones with the glory. And we forget that the church and the kingdom of God is It's not a place to climb a ladder. The church is different. It's a place where we go low. That the true servants of God are one who don't hold up their own name, but take a towel and basin and wash people's feet in the name of Jesus. In the God's kingdom, there are no elites. They're only servants, spirit-filled servants. And we see this in Peter, we see this in John, we see this in these folks, don't we? That we're servants of the name of the Almighty God. We want His name to be proclaimed in this place. And so you can tell us to be quiet, but we'll listen to God rather than man. And we will continue not to proclaim our name, but proclaim the name of Jesus, the one who heals, the one who saves, the one whose name is above every other name, the one who has empowered us to carry out this mission. So the church responds. They're unwavering. They will listen to God rather than man. There's no price on their head. We're going to listen to God rather than man. So that's the church's response. And you notice this long response starting in verse 23. We won't look at all of those verses there, but you notice the response in verse 23. They have this resolve. They're unwavering. Continue to preach Christ. Peter and John, they're released. They went to find their friends. They report what had happened, what was said to them. You notice what the first thing the Christians do. They hit their knees in prayer. They hit their knees in prayer. A spirit-filled people with no price on their head or one with boldness to not stop praising the name of Jesus and proclaiming the name of Jesus but they're quick to pray together. And they're honest in their prayer. This was their first response. They praise God and they say, God sees what's happening. God is, God is sovereign over all of these things. God is sovereign over what's happening. They lift their voice. God, you are sovereign. They, they open that. They pray the scriptures together. You, you've spoken through David and you said this would happen. And Lord, it's happening. We see you doing exactly what you said in scriptures and we proclaim that. Have you ever wondered why we pray the scripture together? That's why. The believers acknowledge what is happening is tough. They say they're rising. Herod punches Pilate along with the Gentiles. These folks are rising up against us. They're against your anointed. They're honest with God. This is hard. We're facing tribulation, Lord. People are rising up against this, but you're in control Do whatever your plan has predestined to take place. You do it and we'll trust you. What a powerful praying church. Lord, look at their threats. This is great comfort for those who are going through difficult times right now, right? God sees that. He said in this world you'll have tribulations. But take heart. Your your life's not spinning out of control. 
He's in control of this. Those believers get together, hit their knees, and say, God, you're doing what you have planned to do. We trust you. God, look at their threats. Now what are they going to pray? Do you see their threats? We have a decision. How are we going to pray at that? God, grant us comfort. What did Tozer say? Start digging our heroes for comfort when we face opposition. Watch what they pray. Not God, make it stop. Not God, put a favorable emperor in Rome. Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And we're going to watch you stretch out your hand to heal. Signs and wonders being performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We won't stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. God, give us boldness. Have we trials and temptations? The old hymn says, What a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And so the Lord responds to the prayer of his people. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. Physically shaken. Earthquake shaken. And they were filled with the Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. He physically shakes that place. The whole place was shaken, and they were the more unshaken, for God fills them with His Spirit, and God grants them power to continue to preach the gospel with boldness. What an answer to prayer. So what? Let me give you a couple things to think about as we close out. Consider the religious elites. Is that a bit of you? The religious elites. Yes, in the story, the religious elites, they denied the cornerstone. They denied Christ. But that attitude can still sneak up in our hearts and our churches, can it? So let me ask a question. Do you long for power? Do you long for control? Or do you long for the power of the Spirit and to be a person who is under the influence of the Spirit so that when people see you, when they hear you, when they're with you, they walk away saying, Jesus is wonderful. The religious like to grumble and keep the power for themselves. I think this is sometimes why the baton is not passed from one generation to the next. We don't trust the next generation. We're not willing to spend time with the next generation and raise other leaders up. So we have to ask the question, is there something you love more than the name of Jesus? Maybe it's even cloaked in something good. There's no room for the religious elites in God's kingdom. Consider the believers. So what? Do you have a bit of that religious elite in you? And so what? Consider the believers. They were persecuted for righteousness' sake. But consider the believers, they they wanted to see the gospel advance. And if we want to see the gospel advance, we must, like these believers, be willing to be intimidated. 
We must be willing to be intimidated. We must be willing to be imposed, to op- willing to be opposed. We must be willing to claim the exclusivi- exclusivity of Christ, the exclusiveness of Christ. I can't get that word out. That Jesus alone is the way of salvation. We must, must be willing to be shaken. We must be willing to lay aside all other influences to live under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we must have no price. We must have no price. They thought Jesus had his price, but he could not bought. And like a sheep that was led to slaughter, he went to the slaughter and the Lord raised him up. He would not do anything other than do the Lord's will, but lay down his life for his sheep. Now this Jesus that they witnessed had been raised from the dead with the resurrection power of God. He had no price. And now these apostles know and these believers know that if we have the Spirit of God in us, this resurrection power is in our veins now too. That there is no price. There is no treasure. Not even our life. For even if they take our life we will be raised. For that resurrection power is in us now by way of the Holy Spirit. So nothing can buy us and nothing can stop us. For we will do nothing other than proclaim the name of Jesus because there is no other name by which we can be saved, by which men can be saved, which anyone can be saved. And so we have no price. So no matter what threats may come, we remain faithful. We hit our knees and say, God, shake us. God, fill us. And God, give us boldness. May we desire for boldness rather than comfort. May we desire his name above any other treasure. Let's pray.